Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstey's Farm, Estates and Rural Land team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights and practical advice on rural developments and current affairs. Today we're focusing on the topic of rights away and the issues that landowners often face. In this episode, we're joined by my colleagues Rose Westwood and Jane Last, both from the Farms, Estates and Rural Land team at Foot Anstey. Rights away in rural areas has come up a lot in the news this year. Dartmoor National Park is one example, and many of you will have seen the case going through the courts this year around the right to wild camping. Following that ruling, the Labour Party promised that if it won the general election, it would pass a Right to Roam Act that mirrors the Land Reform Act of 2003 in Scotland. However, Labour have now U-turned on that, but still promised to look at finding new and alternative ways to grant access. Therefore, this is an issue which will come up again as we approach the election towards the end of next year or in early 2025. We come across rights away disputes almost every day in our work. They can be really important in unlocking areas for potential development value, but also really costly to resolve. Hello, Jane and Rose. Hi, Edward. Thanks for having us today. Yes, happy to be here. So to kick off, can each of you perhaps give an example of, sort of cases that you've come across in the press, which sort of highlights some of the issues that come up on these rights away matters and the problems that landowners encounter? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Edward. I'll go first. So um, like you say, we come across rights of way claims very regularly in our work, particularly claims about obstruction of a right of way. But others may have seen in the press, there's been quite a few around in recent years with farmers making the headlines um, because of obstructions to rights of way. One of the most well-known of those cases was a, a Teasdale farmer who used his telehandler to actually flip a car that had parked and blocked on a lane outside of his farm. Extreme reaction to an obstruction, that's for sure. The farmer claimed that he'd been assaulted by the occupants of the car when he'd politely asked them to remove the vehicle from his land. And in retaliation to that, he took matters into his own hands and forcibly removed that car by flipping it onto the road. So yeah, it was quite extreme. Um, But as a result, he actually faced criminal sanctions and was charged with dangerous driving, criminal damage, and he faced imprisonment of up to 14 years. In this case, he was luckily cleared by the jury, so he didn't actually face prison time, but it just goes to show that what seems like a a relatively kind of dry subject can soon escalate if it's not handled properly. Yeah, absolutely. And just to be clear, we would never recommend to any client that they get the telehandler out and flip the car. Definitely not. (laughs) Definitely not. Jane, has any case caught your eye? Well, there's actually one that's making its way through the court at the moment, and that involves a dispute between a family who purchased a farm in South Wales, and they wanted to build a net-zero eco-home. And unfortunately, their neighbours weren't in alignment with that view. So in 2011, they'd purchased their farm, and in 2016, they'd obtained planning permission to build their home. They didn't, however purchase the access way that led to their farm under a mistaken belief that no one would be interested in purchasing it. And their neighbours, however, who wished for the farm to be returned to grazing land rather than the site of an eco-home, purchased the access way and since have been unfortunately blocking and preventing the family from accessing their eco-home. And this case just really shows the importance of ensuring that you or your lawyers diligently check whether you have the benefit of a right-of-way when you're purchasing a property, and whether that right-of-way is limited to a particular use or whether it's protected by registration or not, because a failure to do so can lead to costly disputes. 
And in this case, the family have been required to crowdfund to pay for the litigation. So obviously not a great result. Jane, obviously there are two broad types of uh, rights away, public and private. Can you perhaps just talk through the differences between the two and how they can arise? Of course. So public rights away, there's actually two sort of subcategories. The first of which being those set out in the Countryside Rights of Way Act. And those are more general public rights of way to access the open countryside, registered common land, and coastal margins. And then secondly, public rights of way over a public highway. And highway having a slightly different term than listeners might perhaps think, and that's simply being a common route along which people can pass and repass. So, for example, a road or a registered footpath. Then the second category, obviously, as you mentioned, is a private right of way. And that's a right of way which we would refer to as an easement. And simply that's a right that gives a benefit onto one piece of land. Legally, we would call that the dominant land. And a burden onto another piece of land, which legally we call the servient land. And an example would be a shared driveway. So the driveway might belong to one property and the other property would have an easement in the form of a right-of-way to pass up and down that driveway on foot or with vehicles, for example. Rose, can you talk about how public and private rights-of-way can actually arise? Yeah, sure. So um, with public rights-of-way, they can be designated by Natural England or Natural Resource Wales. That designation could be a piece of common land, or it could be, as you talked about earlier, the whole of Dartmoor, or it could be a footpath. They can also be designated as access land or public highway voluntarily by a landowner. So if a route is used quite a lot across somebody's land, they could designate it voluntarily and say, okay, well, I'm happy for that to be registered as a footpath. Or actually, public right-of-way can just rise through long use. So if the public has used the land or the route without any objection or interruption for a period exceeding 20 years, they can provide evidence to the council and they can apply to have that registered. With private rights of way, there are two real ways of them arising. So it can be by an express deed or as part of a transfer of land. For example, if a landowner sold one of their fields to a neighbour, as part of the transaction, they may grant a right of way over their land so that the neighbour could access that field once it's sold. And that easement is normally protected by registration. So when you're transferring the field, you would also register that sale. And as part of that, you'd register the easement with it. Or in the alternative, you can get easements arising just through long use. Those are known as prescriptive easements. And this occurs where a right over land belonging to another has been used without objection or interruption for a period of 20 years or more. Um, They don't have to be protected by registration. So these types of easements don't always appear on title deeds for the properties concerned. But it is possible to register a prescriptive easement if uh, the right evidence is presented to the land registry. Thank you. Um, Jane, in the introduction, I referred to um, Labour's ideas around a a right to roam. And during the COVID period, we did see quite a lot of queries come across our desk where the public were roaming across farmland and seemingly trying to designate new rights of way. Can landowners do anything to prevent public rights of way arising? Yes, they can. So firstly, where a landowner has concerns about public right arising over their property, they can take action to rebut the common law presumption that the land should be designated as a public right-of-way. And this can be done by two simple um, actions. So firstly, the landowner stopping people from using the right-of-way, either by turning people off the land 
that being politely asking them to leave and confirming it's private land or obstructing the right of way. And if there is a public right of way already in place and a landowner is worried about it expanding to other parts of the property, they can put up clear signs to mark the designated route and ensuring that other routes are not accessible and remain closed off. A further option is the landowner completing a statement under Section 316 of the Highways Act. And that statement can cover the entirety of the landowner's holding and would be accompanied by a map indicating the ways across the land, if any, that the landowner acknowledges to be public rights of way. And this constitutes a formal declaration to the effect the landowner doesn't intend to dedicate any additional public rights of way over the land delineated on the map. And that essentially stops the clock for 20 years. So any public use of the land during that period won't count towards the establishment of any new rights of way. And the landowner should renew that statement within the 20 year period, confirming no new rights of way have been dedicated since the date of their previous deposit. Listeners should be aware, however, that this doesn't protect against rights of way which have already arisen before the statement has been deposited. So that being either through a 20 year period of uninterrupted use or as a result of historical evidence. Jane, thank you. Um, recently, the Department for Food and Rural Affairs published some guidance on the factors that would be considered by a local authority if they receive a request to divert a public right away. So that can happen, for example, if a landowner is concerned about issues of privacy, safety, if you're talking about you know, on farms, there's obvious concerns there, and security. Can you just talk through very briefly the, the issues and points that the local authority have to take into consideration? Yeah, so on receipt of a initially a diversion application, they'll take into consideration whether to divert the right-of-way onto land already owned or occupied by the landowner or occupier, whether they can divert the right-of-way either by agreement or their powers under the Countryside and Wildlife Act onto land owned by another party, and where diversion isn't possible, the local authority will then consider whether to extinguish a right-of-way if there is another right-of-way that would meet the needs of the public, or if the right-of-way is no longer needed for public use, so one that's sort of fallen out of um, use for some time. But listeners should be aware that certain councils have a backlog with these types of applications. So, for example, Cornwall Council, subject to certain exceptions, isn't accepting any new applications until April of next year. Great, thank you. Jane, just returning back to uh, the question of private rights away, can we just briefly run through how these can be protected? Uh, yes. So those expressly granted by a deed or a transfer of land should be protected through the process by registration at the land registry. And the right will end up on the registered title to both affected parties' registered titles. So that being the land that has the benefit of the right of way and the land burdened by it. Rights of way that exist because of long use, which we've called prescriptive rights of way, can also be registered with the land registry to prevent any disagreements between landowners as to the extent of the use. Part of that process is the production of substantial evidence to the land registry to support the use has been ongoing for 20 years or more. And so this would normally be via statutory declaration or a statement of truth from the current landowner or a previous owner or occupier, depending on how long that landowner has owned the property. And then any evidence as historic photographs showing the right-of-way in use would also be helpful. And it's worth noting that the owner of the land over which the right-of-way is claimed could object to the registration of a prescriptive right-of-way, and that if an objection is received, the land registry might refer that matter to the land tribunal to consider whether the right qualifies for registration. 
And that's something that we might be able to assist with advising um, landowners on. Thank you. Rose, can we just briefly sort of talk about two areas where we all see lots of uh, problems and disputes arise? So first of all, looking at a situation where you've got a private right-of-way and the use of the land which it is accessing changes. Can you talk about some of the issues that we see there? Yeah, so so Jane's example earlier of the eco-home built on a field that was previously used for grazing, that's kind of like a classic example. So there is a risk with any development or change of land use that your right-of-way may not be adequate for your new purpose. So historically, if you've always used the land for agricultural purposes, for example, and you're now changing it because you're going to build a house, it's going to be residential use, you have to really carefully check what rights of way you're relying on. So if you're relying on an express right of way that was granted in a deed, then that might say, for example, a right of way for agricultural use only. So it might be quite restrictive in the wording itself. Even if it's not, and it seems to be quite open-ended, you can't just assume that means you can do anything on the land. Often these rights of way are interpreted in terms of what the intention was at the time of the grant. And if you're suddenly doing something radically different, you can't assume that you can just rely on that. The other forms of right of way, the prescriptive rights of way based on long use, those in particular are based on the historic use of the land. So if you've always used the field for grazing animals, then you could probably get to it with your tractor and maybe a a four by four and a trainer and load and unload. You could certainly go on foot and you could certainly drive your animals up and down the track. If you're then building a house and you want to go in with construction vehicles and thereafter you're going to be parking cars there and driving in and out, your right of way won't extend to that because it's based on that long use over the 20 year period. It will be limited to that use only. So before you start your project, you really need to think about, well, if my rights of way aren't adequate, can I negotiate a better right of way with the landowner of that track? Or is there an alternative access route? But certainly don't make the mistake of that example that Jane referred to, where you end up building a lovely house, but you can't get to it. What can you do if someone obstructs your private right of way? I think in the introduction, you referred to the uh, alarming example of the telehandler. And not something we recommend, but what sort of steps that we would discuss with clients as to how they can sort of protect themselves and solve the problem? So as you say, don't just go and flip it with your telehandler, as tempting as that may be. But if you discover that your right of access has been obstructed, the most appropriate course of action to find out who is doing that obstruction, uh, if it's your neighbour or if it's somebody else writing to them or talking to them, trying to understand whether there's a reason that they think that you shouldn't be using the access way. Is there just a simple misunderstanding there? So have a discussion to start with. If they're being completely unreasonable or irrational, won't accept your right of way, then have a look to see what kind of right of way you're dealing with. Is it registered on your title deeds? Is it a prescriptive right of way through long use? If it's a right of way through long use, it might be a good time to think about what evidence you have to support that. So whether that's witness statements from previous owners, your own knowledge of using it for the 20-year period or anything else. And you want to try and use that evidence to negotiate either a removal of the obstruction or if they really won't cooperate, to go to court and present that evidence for an injunction to remove the obstruction. So it's not an easy resolution and it's not a case of just going in and moving it yourself. We always advise against that because 
you can end up being pulled into a broader dispute and having a claim against you for damaging their property. The car example also ended up with criminal liability. So you've got to be really careful. So yeah, to start with, see whether an open conversation helps you. Um, and if not, start gathering your evidence and I'd definitely get some legal advice to help you with a court claim if you need to for an injunction. Thank you, Rose. Um, perhaps both of you uh, bring this to a conclusion. Could you give some top tips for landowners when it comes to rights of rain? Jane, perhaps you first? Firstly, I think if a landowner is at all concerned about a new public rate-of-way arising on their land, I would certainly advise they complete a statement under Section 316 of the Highways Act. It's quite a simple and relatively inexpensive procedure, so there's no real downside to doing it. And then secondly, if a landowner is using a right-of-way across someone else's property and it's not registered in your title deeds, it is worth taking legal advice on whether the right-of-way can be registered. That's particularly true if you're thinking about selling the land or if you're making succession plans for the next generation. If the right can be registered with the land registry, it provides certainty for the future and is just incredibly helpful to avoid any future disputes. Thank you, Rose. Yeah, so just to recap really on what I was saying a moment ago, if if you find your right-of-way is being obstructed, just highly recommend that you seek advice before trying to remove the obstruction yourself. Even if you're very confident in your case, disputes can just escalate so quickly where landowners take matters into their own hands and you could be finding yourself facing alternative claims for damages or criminal prosecution. So yeah, definitely seek advice if, if that situation does arise. And then again, just if you're thinking about changing the use of your land and this becoming more relevant for farmers now, diversifying as the subsidies from Europe are going, just make sure you get really good advice on the rights of way that you're relying on to get to your project. If that development land was previously just used for agriculture, just be aware that perhaps your rights of way might be limited to that use and you might need to negotiate either a new right-of-way or look for an alternative access point. Uh, Thank you both, as always, for your time. Really appreciate it. I hope everyone listening found this uh, useful today. Please do take a look at our website, which has articles on this and lots of other topics covered in our podcast series. Please do also subscribe for future editions of the podcast and do get in touch with any ideas you have for future episodes. Thanks so much.